Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Happy Haven Podcast. With you as always is me, Gnarly Canary. And today I have... Dr. Susanna Flores. Doctor. Uh, clinical psychologist and author of uh, Untamed, The Psychology of Marvel's Wolverine. How cool is that? It's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. I mean, that's why I reached out. Like, I saw that, and I was like, "That is really awesome." And I've yeah, always, I've always been, I've always been fascinated with the psychology behind a lot of the superhero stuff because it has such a lasting and visceral effect on people. You know, I mean, there's a range of books out there, but there are just some characters that connect so hard with people. Mine were Wolverine and Batman. Um, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm basic, I guess. No, it's the the two, um, you know, antiheroes with uh, supreme badassery. Right. So, I would say, yeah. I mean, I actually went into, um, I had Cal Dodd on as a guest a while ago, and he was the voice, yeah, of Wolverine from the X Men cartoon. Very nice. And I actually went into it with him. Not knowing I would one day have a psychologist on who actually wrote about it, the impact that that character had on me as a kid and as a teenager, um, him and Batman, because, you know, and my guests are going to roll their eyes, but I had a very rough adolescence, and um, I actually ended up in juvenile detention four or five times um, for just being an angry kid who liked to fight because fighting got the anger out. And, you know, the the makeup of what the core characters of Wolverine and Batman were kind of brought me out of that and into that it's okay to see right and wrong, even if other people don't. And it's okay to stand up for it, but to do it in a measured way that always works out for good, you know? So, yeah, those characters very near and dear, so... But enough about me. So what what came first? Was it a love of, of comics and these characters and then the psychology? Or like as a kid you grew up loving it? Or just something you got into after you became a doctor? <laughs> um, it was the, the latter, right? Um, I was, uh, I didn't know the comic book world really to be completely forthcoming. Um, it was completely new for me. What got me into Wolverine and the X-Men, um, it actually happened a few years ago um, when I was sexually assaulted. And oh, wow. during that, yeah, during that time, um, you know, you, 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 psychologists are not immune, you know, to trauma. We feel what everyone feels. We just have a label for it, right? And um, um, we still need to go through all of the emotions and, and all of the feelings and um and just try to do our best to heal. And um, I think for me, the worst part, like I had extreme depression and extreme anxiety, also fear. And, um, but the worst part was feeling emotionally numb um, because I, I just couldn't act. I just felt like immobilized, you know, and um, I needed a lot of support during that time. Um, and so one day, a friend uh, mentioned, you know, it seems like you need to get, he's a, he was a, is a huge Wolverine fan, huge, like since childhood. And he's like, you need to get a little bit in touch with your Wolverine. And I said, what? You know, like I, at that point, all I would really knew was the movies. 
And um, so I saw this, you know, I don't know where I came across it exactly. It was some comic book store. You just happened by chance to, to pass by it. And um, there was a poster of, um, um, of uh, the Dark Phoenix Saga where Logan is beaten in battle and he's in the gutter and he's pissed off, <laughs> to say the least. Uh -huh. And um, he has the, the claws. You could almost hear like the schnick, right? And... Um, the sneer. It was his facial expression. It was it was genius illustration because it just grabbed me, and I, I would imagine it grabbed the other readers, right? And right. what me was his sneer, because although he was beaten and although he's in the gutter, like the sneer, it's like he knew he was going to get um, the Hellfire Club. He was going to get the guys who put him there, and he was going to cause them a whole lot of pain, right? He right. Was gonna get and then so like he rises up from the sores and he slices and he dices and he goes like medieval on, on them and you know I, I, I really um, related to that one panel because when I saw him in the gutter I was like that's me like I'm, I'm beaten right and I'm, I'm covered in dung and I got nothing but maybe I have some fight in me right and uh, which is what I needed to do. I needed to find myself again. And um, so I started reading about Wolverine. And uh, I just started with, like, a basic Wikipedia, like, tell me about this guy, right? According to the comics, not the movies. And then um, the f same friend who ins inspired uh, me to research him um, luckily gave me his full collection of everything that he had, right? Nice. When I saw it, you know, I called him and I'm like, that's a lot. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, this is over 40 something years. And at the time I was like, oh my God, what am I doing? Right. And, uh, so in the, I know this sounds silly, just like you said, your, your, your listeners may, you know, roll their eyes. Well, just know? at me. Cause they've heard me talk about it before. <laughs> well, they're certainly going to roll their eyes at this, but it's the truth. It's, I couldn't let go of the idea. And I, the, the cheesy part, the cliche part is when people say like, well, you know, I didn't choose this, you know, it chose me. It really was true. It's like, I didn't choose Wolverine. It was just like, I felt like he chose me. Like he wanted his story to be told, like all of it in a different lens. And so when I started reading about the torture and, um, you know, the origin story and everything that he went through, um, I'm like, I can totally write this, right? Because I I relate to him. And so it wasn't just a journey of like, I want a successful book. And, you know, it's doing great and that's awesome. That wasn't my intention. My intention was healing through it. You right. Know? And um, trying to figure out what he did to heal. And, you know, so from there, I just learned a lot about him as I learned about myself. So it's it's a self-journey of, of healing. Right. And see, and, and that's what's, that's what's really, I think, attractive about the Wolverine character. I mean, you know, like, superficially, how cool is it? You shoot the guy and it heals, right? And he's got these claws. And his, so he's unbreakable. His bones are made out of metal, right? Like, Superman could hit him. Right, like, I mean, Superman could hit him with his, with his eyes and burn him down to a skeleton, which Nitro does in the books, and just enough skin was left where he regrew and came back and, like, killed Nitro, right? Blew him down to a skeleton and ashes, yeah. and he still came back, right? And but, Magneto ripped the adamantium from him. Right. And you would think that would kill him, 
Right, and it's so cool to, to, to look at superficially, right? Where is all of Wolverine's real pain? It's all inside where the healing factor doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like that's... In, in, in uh, Untamed, you know, I make an, uh, an argument like, well, you know, he has a healing factor, which also gives him like temporary amnesia sometimes. Like he, he right. has fragmented memory. And psychologists call that dissociative amnesia. It's the way of your body and mind protecting you. Right. And like, he's not really healing, right? Like his body is healing. What, what his brain is doing is masking it, but it's still in there. This is why he distances himself from people. This is why he's sarcastic and, you know, surly and, you know, he just keeps people from a distance. And when he gets close, let's say, you know, Jean Grey or whatever, like he, he, he moves forward and then he takes two steps back because it's very scary to him. And in the book, I argue that, you know, some people, I, I interviewed a lot of people and a lot of writers and illustrators. And some people said, like, you know, his greatest fear is becoming like Sabretooth, like becoming pure animal. I argue that his greatest fear is vulnerability, which is what I also felt. Like, that's why right. he, he is. And he has a personality, you know, and anybody who's experienced trauma, like, you know, you can talk to any vet, you could talk to um, any any survivor of assault or even, you know, like, you know, verbal or emotional abuse, and they'll tell you that, you know, once you have trauma, like, it's hard to trust people. And he has so many reasons to not trust people, let's be real. Right. I mean, he's got like a century's worth at this point. He, he has a century, and he, he you know, I've, I've often argued, and I do make the argument in the book, too, like, you know, he he's mentored by Professor X, and Professor X just really believes in him, and even when he doesn't, he really tries, but way deep down inside, I think that Logan would agree with Magneto, like, people suck, right, and, and they're never going to accept us as equals, never, and if you've watched the last Logan movie... One of the first thoughts that occurred to me is, like, Magneto was right. He was always right. You know? Like, it's still happening, you know? And, and yeah. yeah, the oppression and violence is still happening. And so, um, you know, he's wiser. You know, people look at this character. It's like, okay, he's surly, he's short, he's feisty. But there are so many layers to, to Logan. So many layers. Like, you really just have to take a look. Um, but what, what I was going to say, any... any uh, you know, victim of assault or war or trauma will tell you that, yeah, it's, it, they can relate to him, I'm sure, just as I did. It's like every, every panel I was reading, I'm like, I get it. I totally get it. You know? Right. You understand why. I mean, like for me, at, at 16 years old, and a judge who you're supposed to respect, you know, um, at 16 years old, looks at you and says... Well, I'm locking you up again, and this time I'm going to put you in for as long as possible because you're never going to amount to anything anyway. I'm just going to get you ready because this is going to be you for the rest of your life. Because by the time you're 21, you're either going to be dead or you're going to do something that lands you in jail for life. Yeah. Now, that gets put on a 16-year-old kid's shoulders. So then, yeah, what impression does that leave you? <laughs> right. So, well... See, and that's just it. There's that, that Logan style of the middle finger claw coming up because I've spent the rest of my life um, making that the most opposite prediction on my life as possible. You know, um, successful in my work, uh, successful at home, been married for 14 years. Uh, I mean, I'm 37 and I've been with my wife since I was 
barely 21. Um, we've got two kids. We've got a two-car family. We've got a nice place. We've got everything. And you know what? And 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 it's for them because a good man and a good father provides. But there's always that part of me on the inside where everything I accomplish is a middle finger to Judge Lawton in Taunton, Massachusetts. Everything I accomplish is right. And he'll never see it. And he'll never know. And good God, I mean, it was so long ago. The guy may be dead for all I know. He wasn't yeah. a young judge, you know. I can relate to that. I've had but there'll be that eternal that middle I've finger. That I, oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, I've had some <laughs> teachers tell me that I will never amount to anything. You know, and it's like, I wish I could have just sent them a copy of my diploma, right? Like, F you. Right. You I mean, know, that's like, me, I have, yeah. I have too many haters to prove wrong, you know. Right. And I mean, and like Wolverine leaves Canada and sometimes he leaves the X mansion and sometimes he leaves here and sometimes he leaves there. I had to leave Massachusetts completely. Um, you know, sometimes he goes back to Canada to, to rebuild himself. That's not how I work, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like I had, I had to leave and I mean, I, I ran away to the army. Um, I got, all the paperwork done early my senior year of high school. I wasn't even living at home. And I was putting myself, I dropped out of day school, put myself through night school, still graduated with straight A's from high school. Still walked in the same year uh, with my class, which everyone said was impossible. But I got my own apartment, a job, and I put myself through night school. And um, ran away to the army as soon as possible and never went back. Um, so, I mean... You know, I've my uh, I guess you could call it my Weapon X program was an adolescence of self-induced hell because I didn't have bad parents. Like it wasn't like oh I had all this. It is some people some people like find punk rock music in their teens and they like the edginess of it, and then others of us find punk rock music in our teens and think that that's a good lifestyle to adopt in every way, and it really never is. Um, that's why most of the singers end up dead before they're 28 years old, right? Yeah, but, right. But I was like, yeah, let's jump into this whole hog. And, right. I mean, I even gave up parts of myself that I didn't really believe to be a part of that. Like I said, I mean, you know, what I said at the beginning about the Batman and Wolverine connection between right and wrong, is I kind of put that away for a while and not putting down comics. Um, always reading them never let me fully let go of that. And then it brought me back to it when I was away from Massachusetts and I could start getting my head straight. You know, most people don't get their heads straight in the middle of basic training uh, for airborne infantry in the army, but I did. Um, it kind of pulled me out of it. And I guess the discipline and, and everything kind of hit my reset switch. But I never put the comics down even then. So, you know, now, I mean, my political beliefs and everything, I stand on everything, whether it's right and wrong, whether it's popular by anybody, which is the way they stand. I mean, yeah, you know. I think it's very true for Logan, too. He is who he is without apology. And he needs to be who he is because he's the muscle of the group, the enforcer. Right. right. Um, he does the dirty jobs that no one else wants to do, and he takes it on, you know. And um, when I, I met with uh, John Romita Jr. And, and oh, Jr. man, that's so cool. He's the nicest guy, by the way. Like, the uh, he's amazing. 
um, we started off with like, okay, I'll do a 15 minute interview. And you know, his line was growing, right. Of signatures. And we ended up talking for 45 minutes because I, he was fascinated by this. And he's like, yeah, more people should do an analysis of these characters. But he said his Wolverine moment happened at nine 11. He's, he's huge New Yorker. Right. And, right. and it, it pissed him off, you know, to a degree that a non New Yorker would not, probably not understand. Although, you know, we were all affected in some way, but he, he took it very personally. And um, so he's like, okay, who, you know, who do we bump? Who do we, you know, even not knowing that information at the time. And so, you know, he said that, you know, just like Logan, he had to try to center himself because when you take on, you know, when you're immortal and you take on the role of judge, jury, and executioner for your whole life, right? Like he decides in a second who lives, who dies. Right. And sometimes they're decent people that are just doing their job or whatever, and sometimes, but they're in the way, right? Um, that is that is an incredible weight to carry. And so, um, you know, just like Logan, um, John Ramita Jr. Uh, really got into martial arts um, to center himself, you know, and he believes that everybody could be a hero if they take on or if they try martial arts um, to rechannel that anger. And so... Um, you know, I don't know if you've seen it. I did a TEDx talk. Uh, it's called Un Untamed, What Wolverine Teaches Us About Rage. And I share my story. And, um, you know, like, I, you know, it's, I'm sure, um, shocking to a lot of people that, you know, a psychologist would be, um, would find healing through this feisty mutant, etc. And, um, you know, but I argue that part of my healing, my major healing was, like, embracing that rage that I needed to, right? right? Because I was wrong, like, I was, of course, violated, but then I was betrayed by people that I thought that would have my back, and then I was, like, you know, ridiculed as, you know, people love to blame the victim, you know, and yeah. so I was pissed off at all of that, including the social injustice and the court system and all that, everything that I had to go through, and then one day someone said something to me, which was incredibly stupid, you know, and I won't share that, but it was incredibly insensitive and it was another blame the victim comment and I, I felt the blood boiling you know and uh i like it was like an uncontrollable force it became like a volcano it was just like you know mount saint helens and i went off like completely off and um it was a level of rage that i'd never really felt before and i've, I've been angry before but this was like full-on rage and like i saw like red you know, yeah. I almost felt I almost felt dangerous at that point. You know, but then after I I let it out, right? Um, like I felt incredible. You know, the the depression and the anxiety. At least at that moment, it was literally gone. It just disappeared. It's like and you burn it. I, yeah. Yeah, it's like you burn it. Say it again. It's like you burn it. It becomes the fuel. Like it, it's gone because you've yeah. expended it on. Yeah, yeah, it's like, you know, thank you for giving me that match, and now I'm going to create an explosion, right? Like, now I'm going to show you what I'm made of. And at that point, you know, um, I don't know if I'm allowed to curse on your you know, podcast, but am I? Okay. So at that point, you just reach a moment of, like, fuck this shit. You know, like, I am done with this shit. I am done with being blamed. I'm done with putting up with, you know, you know everything that I had to put up with, and I fought back. And, you know, there was no certainty with what I, you know, what I was going to take on, but just like, you know, Wolverine in the solo series, you know, I, he's, yeah, there's a quote I'll never forget where he's just like, you know, win or lose, it doesn't matter. An attempt, 
you know, and it's like, yeah, I needed to fight back and win or lose didn't matter. You know, the end result didn't matter. It was a matter of like, I'm going to fight back, you know, whatever it takes. There needs to be the fight. Some fights are justified. You know, you'll spend your whole life with everyone saying fighting is never, no, it's bull crap. Yeah. Sometimes you, you, well, that's what he taught me is like, sometimes you have to get pissed off and sometimes you have to fight back. Right. Win or lose, right? Like if nothing else, it was a way of me saying like, this shame is not mine to carry. It's not right. And I'm, and you will not silence me. And you know, like, you know, you want to go, let's go, let's bring it. Right. Like let's fight. And, um, and that's what I did. And, and, you know, so I found my, my healing and liberation through Logan and, it, it was very surprising. Like no one was so more surprised than me. Right. And, <laughs> and, um, I, I gave it everything that I had and researched everything that I could. And, and some chapters were really hard to, to write very difficult because this is not like I'm writing about botanical gardens. I'm talking about, you know, the real psychological torture to try to relate to him or have the reader relate to what he went through at, at weapon X. And, you know, that's one example of, like, Barry Windsor Smith's genius, his genius with the illustration and uh, the writing. And, uh, you know, after I would work on the Weapon X chapter, I felt like I needed either a whiskey or a Disney movie or both. Um, because it's like, wow, this is this is deep. This is some real deep shit, you know. Well, and, Jameson uh, and Little Mermaid, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's talking about, and so in the book, I also argue, in, and psychologists do, many psychologists do, do own this, is that, you know, even, like, torture is a form of physical assault. Like, you you know, you could, you, you know, according to the book, use your imagination, he's, you know, it, it explains that every orifice was violated, right? These tubes went into every orifice. So, you know, use your imagination. Yeah. Was it sexual assault? Yes. You know, absolutely. Was it physical assault, emotional? Absolutely. You know, and he, you know, one could also argue that, you know, it was a weapon axe that, that actually enforced his humanity because he was fighting for it. You know, so it almost like, you know, it backfired on them because he was fighting for his humanity. Like, yes, it made him more, um, you know, uh, lethal, you know, for sure, you know, but you know, throughout all, all of this, just like it happens for any of us who've endured pain, it's just like you, you have to keep trying. You have to try to be the better man, and sometimes, or woman, and sometimes that entails getting in touch with your rage and fighting back. Right. That's, that's what he represented to me. That's way deeper than I was expecting. I was expecting to just talk comic books and how it how it affects people, and that's this episode is yeah. already way more amazing than than I was yeah. expecting. So oh, that is them, you know, that is awesome, though. Like, yeah. I mean, not what happened, but what what came of it. Instead of letting it just, you know, almost make you small and beat you, that that you were able to turn around and, and use a character. I mean, I mean, if you think about it, comic books that there there are modern mythology. You know, the Greeks had all these gods that did all these things and. You know, DC comes really close to basically pantomiming the, you know, <laughs> um, the upper echelon of Greek mythology and their different characters. But, you know, I mean. Yeah, and mythologically, Logan is one of the brutes. Right. He's but the but there's a reason that they've been these these myths for, you know, DC's got characters that are celebrating 75 years. 
You know, I mean, you're almost a century of these characters influencing people and inspiring people and getting people through. But to do such a deep dive and and to have it come out of something that actually happened to you and more than just more than just like a childhood love of of books and then having theories about it, but to actually use it as such a visceral healing for something that happened is is amazing and I'm sure makes the book a lot more you know, like sincere and, and ring a lot truer than someone who just, you know, went to school for psychology and then talks about, well, well, people who lost their parents identified a Batman because who would, you know, but to actually go into such a, um, a meta level with, with, with a character that, that is so loved, but not very well understood by a lot of people. Oh, exactly. He's very complicated. Um, and a lot of people don't think see that. They see, oh, he's the guy who who cracks the joke and smokes the cigar and stabs the bad guy. And then, oh, well, I remember in the movie he left the team, but then he came back. And then he da-da-da. And then he, you know, but yeah, for those of us who grew up reading it, it's like, no, I, I the most pivotal, one of the most pivotal Wolverine moments for me, and I talk about it in the episode with Cal Dodd. Um, Cause it was just all Wolverine for that whole episode it was just, you know, deep down stanky Wolverine episode um, was during the, the asteroid M acolyte storyline with the X-Men um, with fate. When Fabian Cortez was the right hand man, acolyte of Magneto and they had taken one of the newest X-Men, which was like a teenage mutant. They hadn't, they did it on purpose. It was one they hadn't fleshed out too much in the books, but they got kidnapped and brought to Asteroid M and Magneto was going to try to convert one of Charles's own students type of things, you know, and it didn't work. And Fabian Cortez tortured the kid to death and Wolverine it's not this big fight. They're not throwing each other around in Asteroid M and, you know, he's clawed, slashing through steel pipes trying to get to Fabian. He just talks to Fabian Cortez and it's this long monologue. And the genius of those panels is when he kills Fabian Cortez, because he kills him, it's completely off screen. So it it gets you as much as it gets Fabian. You make the same face he makes in the panel because he's, you've got all these flowing words coming from Logan, which is rare to see him monologue out, out loud. He's got a lot of, and he's like Batman. There's a lot of inner dialogue. If you read the Wolverine books, but there's not a lot on the outside. It's usually like a wisecrack or a something, something bub. And then yeah, it's, there's many moments where he's wiser than, than anyone would ever, you know. Right, so he does this thing. He monologues to Fabian Cortez. It's all these word bubbles, and you read them, and you're like, wow. And then it ends with him standing in front of him, and you can't see anybody's hands, and you just see snicked at the bottom of the page. And then on the next panel, Fabian's cape has three points sticking out the back of it. And so Wolverine gives him this lecture, which was supposed to be a lesson. And then he guts him like a fish, you know, like, <laughs> but again, Logan is Logan. Like that, that, that has stuck with me forever. And I was a kid when I read that. I mean, I was maybe young teens when I read that one. And that panel has always stuck with me. Like he did it so elegantly. And then he still gutted him like a fish. 
Like, you know, like, um, Oh yeah. Yeah. He makes you feel things. Um, I, I'm, uh, blanking on, uh, which one it was exactly, but there was, maybe you can remember, um, there's a scene where Logan is in the snow and he's alone and he is losing faith and he is practically dying. And then his best friend, right? Nightcrawler, you know, uh, eventually finds him and, uh, Logan says something like, it's you, it's really you, you know? And it's like, you know, this endearment of realizing like, this is not just his friend, this is his brother. Right. And, um, Nightcrawler is tempting him with, you know, well now we have like, uh, you know, some drinks or whiskey or bourbon, whatever he mentioned. And then he's like, you do? <laughs> you know? And he's like, no, I just need something to motivate you or to inspire right. you. You know, and um, yeah, there's. I think I actually cried at that one because it was just so endearing. You know, um, and you discover his layers. You know, and this person being, you know, uh, a mutant that was neglected by his mother. Oh, the, the origin story. Um, Paul Jenkins, who wrote the forward for the James book. Howlett, the origin. Yeah. He, um, you know where he he talked about like. You know, the, the pain that he endured of having his mother nearby, but having his mother neglect him. And I, I uh, say in Untamed that that's worse. Like, you know, had she just left, it would have been way better. Right? Because right. Um, that's like putting salt on the wound. Like, you're so close and yet so far away. And this happened to him repeatedly. And psychologists call that complex post-traumatic stress. You know, and um, so that was his first level of trauma. You know, and then, of course, all of the... the, the events that happened after, like seeing his father's head, you know, blown off practically, you know, and um, having to escape and him going into a deep depression of, you know, not, he wasn't his, him, you know, he didn't mature into, you know, Wolverine yet, um, but just dealing with uh, profound depression and isolation. And um, so I described you know, what that is like as well, you know, to becoming, you know, a mutant that's just trying to find his way to being captured and tortured, you know, and, and then having a love life that's a disaster, many would argue, right, for the same reason, you know, like Jean Grey, she's practical, she's going to choose Cyclops, right? Right. Because she knows, like, the only thing predictable about Logan is unpredictability, and, and he always leaves, you know, he will leave. And I tell so, people, you really want to... Any woman... Any woman she will pick the man who stays. You know? Even if he's and a dork, yeah. Even, even if he's a dork. And there's certainly some attraction between Logan and her. A lot of chemistry, right? But she's just like, she, she's avoiding pain you know, herself at that point. Like, if I do this, I'm setting myself up for a world of pain because he will not stay no matter how much he loves me. And so, you know, with that, and it goes the, to the chapter of, like, the one that got away, where, I, you know, there's this argument, who's his great love. Is it Mariko or is it Jean Grey? And this is where we go into into the theory of triangulation of love, right? And, um, you know, according to that theory, like, she's more of an infatuation because it never really went to fruition where, you know, I think that Jean represents his mutant strength and Mariko, as a you know, total human, like, you know, um, she represents his vulnerability. You know, his, his wanting to be a better man. And so that, I argue, you know, makes Mariko his true love. Which know, is, like, which is for people who don't, re who haven't read the books, read the whole Lady Deathstrike thing. Um, 
That's far more heartbreaking so than... Oh, it's so crazy. So crazy. It's yeah. more heartbreaking than the wedding of Scott and Jean. Oh, very For good. him. The other thing I discovered, there's a lot of brainwashing that occurs in the Marvel Universe, right? A whole lot of brainwashing. And, and then that Almost rejection. as much as their time shifts, yeah. Oh, yeah, and then that rejection, you know, like, you are not worthy. If anything would stab Logan in the heart, it's like, you know, not being seen as the brave or honorable warrior that he desperately tries to become right right she's like you're not worthy right and it's like ah ah (laughs) (laughs) and i was like what you know like that can't be what happened and so yeah all of the excitement that i felt were you know the excitement that you know his fans you know since childhood um got even in you know as children like these are great lessons and um you know, I would say the other part of the journey that was just very surprising, and I do have to give a shout-out to Chandler Rice from Desert Wind Comics, because if it weren't for him, I wouldn't have met everybody that I needed to meet, like interviewed right. John Sr. and Len Wein, the late Len Wein. Oh, my gosh. Um, which was, yeah, incredible. And, um, <laughs> yeah, and um, Joe Rubenstein and Chris Claremont. and Oh, my God, stop. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I actually I have again thanks to um, Chandler. I have this painting of the solo series signed by um, Joe Rubenstein, Len Wein, John Romita Sr. Um, I'm about to get Roy Thomas, and I got um, 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 Stan Lee. So my item was the last non-comic book item signed before he died. Oh my goodness! And, and so I'm like, now I just re- need Roy Thomas, and I wish I had Herb Trumpy, and I would have loved to have interviewed Herb Trumpy. I'm like, Herb, right? Um, because, uh, you know, he's one of the creators, just as, you know, Roy and Len and, you know, um, God. It's just, it's just, I wish, and John, and John Ramita Sr. But anyway, I digress. Um, the, the, the most powerful part of this journey was speaking to the writers and the illustrators about their interpretation of Logan or how they, they, you know, reflect or express their pain onto the panel or the bubbles, right? And every person I interviewed, you know, on some level experienced pain and they transcended that through the characters. It's inevitable. It's like, you're, you know, it's going to come out and it's going to express itself just like it did to me. And uh, with your permission, I'd like to read um, the launching quote by Len Wein. There's no okay. need to ask at all. Okay. Because, um, I, I was so grateful that I got it. And, um, you know, and at first he was, you know, I just want to give a little precursor, you know. So Len Wein was like, well, why Logan? Right. And I said, well, you know, I thought as a psychologist, like, you know, well, Batman is like the most popular character of DC. I figured no one has done Wolverine, who's the most popular character of Marvel. So I thought I'd take on Wolverine. And he just stared at me blankly and he's like, that's great. Now, well, you give me the real reason why you pick Logan. Mm. And I'm like, shit, you know? <laughs> and he's like, that, that, that just doesn't happen, right? Like, right. you could pick anybody. Like, you could have picked Spider-Man. You could have picked, like, he's like, you know, a lot of people are going to be, you know, surprised that you picked this anti-hero, given that you're a psychologist. And I said, and yet not surprised, given the level of trauma that, you know. And then so he, he pulled me. And he's like, I think that, you know, he's, it, he had a lot of physical illnesses and a lot of physical pain. And, and then so I told him my story and, you know, he was very compassionate, you know, and, um, you know, sympathetic. And, you know, he took a pause and he said, you know, I, I think that you, me and Logan have a very personal relationship with pain. 
And right. I smiled and I agreed. And that's that's the tie, you know, that I have to the character. So anyway, okay, here is um, the quote from Len Wein um, that launches um, Untamed. Wolverine embodies suffering more than more than other X-Men because he is built to withstand it, to survive it, to endure it. Logan has natural aggression tempered by the extraordinary humanity he so desperately tries to hide. He's always trying to keep the beast in check. I think this is what makes him so interesting. Logan represents very real themes of trauma and resiliency, and what keeps him going is his search for answers. He wants to know more about himself, to evolve, which is what we all do. If I could say one thing to Logan, i tell him to chill, to take it easy. Everything's going to be okay. Logan's a little crazy, but then again, so are we. That's awesome. Yeah. That really is awesome. And what he yeah. says in there is so true about the character. I mean, Logan's more human than than a lot of the other X-Men, even though everyone always calls him an animal. Everyone always tries to compare him to an animal. And, animal, right. And, oh, he's going feral. And, oh, you know, that like, like, I mean, he went pretty feral after Magneto sucked the metal out of him, but... You know, even yeah, in even in panel and artwork, that. yeah, he he went pretty werewolfy, but I mean that's just a perfect encapsulation for the beginning of a dive into Wolverine is is to read that and be like, oh, well, let me see what that really means, and you do come to find out that yeah, physically he is wired to take more than anybody else, right? Yeah, and he's also very dualistic, right? You know, and he, like you know, he encapsulates the light and the dark, and you know, um, beauty and and horrendous pain. You know, and um, you know, it, it, these things seem to be contradictions, and yet right. they're not. And you his know, violence, like, you see, beauty through the pain. You know, he he finds meaning through the pain. Right, and and the violence you see on the pages. Um, is barely a reflection of a lot of the good writers. They allude to stuff that he's done that's never been put on the page that's so much darker than what people have seen. Um, So yeah, there's that super... Yeah, there's a lot of uh, allusion to, 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 to what he really hides from people. And there's not a lot of books that have gone into that, Solo or X-Men books, that have really gone into some of the stuff that's been implied. Mm-hmm. But not really shown, and I think, I think the Logan movie was probably the closest to you know in terms of the screen movies of really representing who he is, right? Like you you see a little you know the other X Men movies like okay like he's stabbing someone you don't see blood, right? This one you see some major. They finally blood. yeah like I said they finally did a Wolverine movie after twenty years of Wolverine movies. They yeah, finally let like, us have one. Yeah, <laughs> you know. A lot of people ask me what I think of Logan, and I said I, I think it's an act of genius. I think it's it was you know I cried like a baby because at the end of I even you know brought some tissues because I knew I was going to cry because it was very painful for me because I waited until the Logan movie to complete the book. I had to wait for it, right? Um, and in order to write the character, I had to pretend like he was my real client. I had to. Not that he would ever show up to a therapist's office. Let's be real, right? You know. Yeah. <laughs> I can't see him on the couch, right? Um, but he's not going to, again, he fears vulnerability, so he's not going to do it. He'd rather just, you know, wallow in a bar with, you know, a drink or something. That's how he kind of gets over things, sol- you know, being solitary. But um, 
I had to really believe that he was a real person and that he was a client under my care. And I, it was my job to do the analysis. So, you know, um, this, this spoiler alert for anyone who still hasn't seen the movie, right? Um, I think the embargo's lifted. Go ahead. <laughs> I was about to say, I hope people have seen it by now. But he dies. Like, eventually, like, dies, dies. Like, really dies, right? And Or so we thought. You know, there's a lot of resurrection in the Marvel Universe as well. But, um, oh, my God, it, it, it hit me it, it, way harder than I thought it was. Like, I really bawled because, it, there's, again, there's so many contradictions. It's like, you know, he's still surly. He's still trying to keep distance. He's trying to distance himself from Laura, his daughter. And um, But his last act, which it, uh, before he dies, is the act that, only Logan can do, and, and it's true both in the comic book version, The Death of Wolverine, you know, and it's true in Logan, where he self-sacrifices, right, you know, in order to save others. He's right. a guy. No matter what people think, he is a good guy. He is. He's just been very damaged, you know, and he's imperfect, and I, I like to call him perfectly imperfect, just because all of us are perfectly imperfect. We all have our demons, we all have our traumas, we all have, you know, sh shit that we need to overcome, you know, or that we even spend a lifetime overcoming. You know, and as you put it, like, you know, there's a lot that we don't know about him. We don't want to know, is what I would say. Like, if you've ever talked to a war veteran, or, you know, I don't know, snipers, or DEA agents, agents like, I'm very grateful for them, I wonder about them, but I'm very grateful, but I don't need to know everything, you know, because again, that's for him to take on, that's for Logan to take on. And this is, you know, unfortunately, you know, the sacrifice that many veterans and first responders take on is, you know, I, you know, will do my job in any way that I need to, but you don't, you don't want to know. And that's okay. Like, I respect that, you know, and I'm grateful to them, you know, so a shout out to you know war veterans and first responders thank you for your you know for your service i would say yes ma'am and we talk a lot about veterans and first responders in my book because i also had to interview them with some of the techniques and some of you know the stuff that they go through and even just their level of hyper vigilance which basically means it's like extreme awareness of one's environment like this is a great representation of Logan, too. He has heightened this. Uh, and you can't turn it off. Even when you want to, just relax. You can't. But, but the same thing is true for veterans and, and, and first responders. Like I drive the, my wife nuts in public. I drive my oh, wife nuts in public. Are you a with veteran that. or are you a, a first responder? Uh, yeah, I was Airborne Infantry right, right, okay. right, right out of high school. Remember, I, I ran away to the Army. I ran away from Boston oh, that's right. That's right. all the way down to Georgia. <laughs> yeah. And so... Yeah, no, like, I get it, and it doesn't turn off. It's, know, a, it's safety. It everything. doesn't. So as, as they would describe it, you know, like, you know, when, like, you know, some the person that I described in, um, who was in Iraq, it was just a matter of, like, you have to be extremely quiet because you're listening for the enemy, and the enemy's listening for you, and you learn to decipher things like the smell of a certain cigarette. Is it American? Or is it a foreign cigarette? And the only way you can do that is to heighten your senses. So you should be able to hear, like, a leaf 
you know, someone stepping on a leaf or something and just imagining living like that, right? And then, you know, you go into a restaurant and you're scanning, and I'm sure you can relate. That's what I was about to say. When you get in a restaurant, I need a chair that faces out to every corner of the room. I need to know where the exits are. I need to know. That's not something that will ever be compromised. Like, you can argue with someone like you, and it's never going to, because you can't sit still or you'd always be turning your back. And you can see the exits faster than anyone. And you can scan the room and you can tell who can take care of themselves and who can't. See, the one thing I feel bad about is if a restaurant's too busy, I can't eat in it because it's too loud and it starts to sound like water running and I can't hear distinctness anymore. And I actually get really edgy and I get really anxious and I just want to leave. And I feel bad because it does hinder me and my wife's ability to go out on husband-wife dates. We have to pick either days that aren't busy or do it during the day instead of an evening or yeah. pick a place that nobody really knows about. Um, I have to, too. I mean, yeah. a, as, you know... Um, movie theaters. It, you know, movie theaters. I, I can't go when a movie's new. Um, I can't go... I can either go during the day when there may be a couple other families there or really late at night on a movie that's no longer the number one at the box office and not that popular, or the discount movie theater where there aren't a lot of people anyway. Um, I, I can't be in a room where I'm not facing the exits, where it's dark and there's too many people. If I need to get my family out, there's too many people to crawl over. It's You're right. It's These factors start compiling on themselves it's these weird survival instincts and you really you can't shut them and it's so annoying sometimes but you can't it's like a light switch that got super glued in the on position and there's no you're like well like every other light switch i should just be able to turn this off and the room gets dark and then we leave and the that switch never goes down i i had a friend who i have a friend who um we have the same job um, and we have to drive for work. We have to drive from location to location and do stuff. So we usually eat out for, you know, we go through a drive through or we get something and sit in our car and eat. And what he went through in his service, he has to pick a drive through that has no other cars in it because he can't have a car in front of him and a car behind him in traffic. He can, but stopped. He can't feel boxed in. I can't feel boxed in. Right. I can't. Like, I look at exits. I I think this is a good opportunity to talk about, like, when I say my healing, notice I'm not saying healed. Right. Healing is a process, and... Um, and some, some with trauma can, you know, they, they claim like they are able to, you know, completely heal or they have completely healed great for them. You know, that, that's the goal. You know, when we, I, I was going to make the same expression, like when someone asks, like, so, you know, when did you heal completely? And I'm like, any day now, any day. Right. Um, because as a consequence, I still have anxiety. Like I, I will actually perspire if I feel cornered. You know, or if I'm at a concert, like, I, I can't really do full concerts. I want to. Like, that's a goal of mine. I really want to, but I can't. And, um, and not without it, not if it's not in an open area. Like, really open, where, where I'm at the outskirts, and I'm close. And you can I'm, leave whenever you want. And I can leave whenever I want. <laughs> right. But yeah, no, right. there was one time I went into a sheer, like, full-on panic attack when I did not have an out. And, um, and I know like people think like, well, what does one thing have to do with the other? It, 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 uh, it has a lot to do. And so it just, for me anyway, again, I don't want to speak for all survivors of trauma, but it is a journey. 
and it takes time. I right. think most, right. most trauma um, victims could at least, or trauma survivors can at least agree that it takes time. And even with, with what happened to me with like going full on rage and releasing it, um, that, that it, it took me to another stage of healing, but I, I don't want to invalidate people's experience and say, oh, I was healed. That's not what I'm saying. Or I got good and mad and then it was over. Yeah. Yeah, that's not how it and, works. <laughs> no, no. And it's still a work in progress. And so, yeah, there's this, you know, um, the hypervigilance and reactivity. Like when you're uncertain, you're like, what what's happening? What's going on? And you need to find a solution right away. For me, I don't know if this is true for you, but it's like I can't let things lie, just lie. Like I need to, I need to know what's happening, right? Because that leaves me in a, a state of vulnerability. And I'm just being like, you know, full disclosure here. It's again, psychologists experience this stuff too, you right. know. And um, I think a reason why a lot of the, my readers have related to this work is because of my vulnerability. And, you know, here's another cool conversation that I had with um, Paul Jenkins when we were talking about him writing the forward. Your name drops hurt my soul. Oh, I, I want to talk to these people. So if I ever got Chris Claremont and Jim Lee in the same room, I would just cry like a child because of their 90s X-Men run and what it meant to me. Chris Claremont, every time I hear that name, it's like... And Jim Lee's art has always been ridiculous. There's, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't get Jim Lee. I tried to, but I couldn't. Um, and uh, I, I stalk these guys. You know, like I. Anyway, it's a long story. But anyway, so Paul, Paul and I were talking, and uh, so we we're talking about pain, and um, I don't, I, I don't want to spoil it, but I do want to say that there is some very very close and very profound discoveries about Paul Jenkins that came out on the page in the origin um, series. And he's like, and after telling me that, he's like, I don't want you to print this because, you know, this is my story or something, something along those lines. And uh, a lot of people don't know the true origin of the origin story, right? Meaning right. his story. And so upon hearing this, I'm like, Paul, you have to let me share this. You have to, you have like, people need to know your story. And, and so we talked about pain and we talked about resiliency and this is a, his own pain. And I think he said something along the lines of, well, I'll share if you share. And at that point, I really wasn't going to share my story. Oh, now, <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, I can't, I can't. And he's like, why not? And I'm like, because like psychologists, like we're supposed to be the expert and we're supposed to be like, have our shit together and you know, whatever. And he's like, you're human. It makes you more human to share it. He's like, I will agree to share mine if you share yours. And, and so I remember I, I talked to my agent and I was like, oh my God, fuck me. Like, I can't like, no, like he's placed me in a position. And then, so she agreed, like, he's right though. You know, because both of us agreed at that moment that what we were both fearing was vulnerability, which is exactly, exactly what Logan fears. Yep. You know, and it's like, okay, the only way through, you know, to get to the other side is through it. And so, you know, here I am, I'm like, okay, whew, okay, here we go. I'm going to write it, right? I'm like, all right, here we go. And, you know, <laughs> like, that, that was hard for me. And what was even harder was doing or sharing my story through the, through the TEDx. Um, because that's a, that's a big audience, right? Not just in yeah. that room. Um, you know, but see, I'm going to get teary eyed right now. And this is, it's a trigger and you probably know what triggers are. It's a trigger, right? A trigger to pain. But, um, it, 
it wasn't just painful because it was going to be, you know, I was exposing my story to literally thousands of people, but also like in the room, sorry. No, you go my, right ahead. My, my father was in the audience. I understand there. that. Okay. And so they, I had, it got to a point where I had to talk about stuff that he didn't know about my details. And I knew he was crying. I knew he was crying. And so, um, and even during the TEDx, I was like, don't cry. Don't cry. You're not going to cry. You're, you know, badass psychologist. You're not going to cry. I cried. And, you know, it, it turned out to be okay. And I think that's exactly again, yeah, what, what made people relate to it. And um, I will defend Wolverine with ferocity, right? Just like he defends his crew, his tribe. And and I've, I've lost the respect of some colleagues, believe it or not. They're like, um, I never knew you were into comic books. And I'm like, I never was until now. But I am 100% in, like 100% in. And I just noticed they So you say, I never knew you were a closed-minded ass. Yeah. See, and that's the first place my mind went to was, you know, it's sarcasm and barbs, sarcasm and barbs. I I get that patronizing look when they're like, oh, what's the title of your new book? And I was like, you know, Untamed, the psychology of Marvel's Wolverine. And they look at me like, oh, right. With the look of like, I thought this was like a real research project. And I'm like, this was a real research. It was 40 years of research project. Okay. Yeah. It was not a small, you know, thing to take on, and I'm glad I did, um, because uh, what has fulfilled me with all of this work is, see, yeah, choked up, um, is that some people have gone to comic cons when I'm doing a panel or I'm signing books, and they're purposely looking for me, like they want to meet me because they read the book, and and I'll never forget this moment. It was a moment at the San Diego Comic Con when someone came up to up to me, a man, and told me, I share your story. I was sexually assaulted. And the part that just, like, endeared me to him so much is that, you know, he said it proudly and loudly. Like, he was not whispering it. And he said, because like you, this is not my shame to carry. Right. You know, and it's like, and I will, like you, I will also speak my truth and I will not be silenced. And I was like, come here, brother. Come here. Like, you know, I give exactly. a hug. And, and sometimes we both end up in tears. Yeah. That's understandable. Yeah. yeah. And, and even veterans come up to me, too, just saying, like, in terms of the PTSD, you captured it. You really, and the hypervigilance and the, you know, how people are, are, are misunderstanding PTSD. And why there's a high suicide rate, you know, and, and why, you know, um, where even it's difficult to get help even, you know, or to, to, to admit to that pain. It's like you captured it. And I was like, thank you. That is why the book was written. That it gives purpose to the work and, um, quite possible, whatever. I, and I am working on a different character now, but I myself know that it will not be the same level of connection that I had to Logan. Um, because, you know, he and I are absolutely connected for life. You know, I'm even thinking of getting a Wolverine tattoo, you know, because I think I should. Me too. You know, I, yeah, you do. And it, it's it's it also, once again, it's healing through pain, a certain kind of pain. Right. right? Uh, um, have you had, do you have any yet? A Wolverine tattoo? Oh, no. No, tattoos, a, tattoos in general. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because oh, yeah, 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 they're addictive. They... <laughs> Well, I got two. I got one in my 20s, and I got um, a little one in the, on my finger, and the tattoo artist, inner finger, and the tattoo artist 
warned me this is going this is quite likely the most painful spot and i'm like the most painful like even like more than like you know whatever like you know whatever <laughs> and he's like the most painful spot and i was like you know what i meditate i can take it hit me right and then <laughs> and then he started, and you're like mother <laughs> yeah. i don't know if it's visible i'll try right um so it's a little arrow yeah okay so the reason i got that and, and again there's no flesh big flesh here right the reason i got it is because um i saw the same ones that an arrow only reaches its target by being pulled back so when life is pulling you back it's actually launching you Move forward and just greater right to, uh, to your main target of what your target should be and sure enough it did during that period of my time of my life you know i lost friends you know i lost you know I, yes i did I really did, you know, and, and it was more shaking my head and the confusion of that. Like, that's when you need people the most, and it, you know, it's not the same trauma. But, but like when I would get locked up, you know, people you thought were your friends were were nowhere. Yeah. And it's absolutely true. Adversity is the greatest teacher, and it's also the pain, the most painful teacher um, because it shows you, really shows you, like you know, who your friends are, like. During your toughest times, you gotta you don't listen to words, you gotta watch behaviors. Who is there by your side? Right. Right? And really um, there. Or at least you know, uh, you know, there you're, you're sending support even through an email or something. And in a very surprising way you discover who has your back, people that you would have never thought would have had your back, and they're there. And so it's a great way also to wean out people, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, that 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 drain you and that are not good for you. And that, so that was a good life very, lesson is realizing that you don't need a giant group of friends to be validated. Yeah. Um, we keep well, a very small circle of friends and it's all people who have, you know, not tribalistic, but our interests. Yeah. And, and not just, you know, Oh, we all like stranger things. So we can be friends cause we watch straight, but like our interest, our interests, like, that show, by the way. you know, especially um, being a parent, like, our friends would have the best interest of our children if we weren't around, yeah. you know? So, so they're the ones that we, that, that we invest any time. That's not given to work or to the kids or to, you know, if we're going to give recreation time, it's going to be to people that it's, it's worth giving your time to. And both me and my wife separately, we're very much party animals. We're very much the popular kids and had the huge circle. And over time we learned that, it's all superficial bullshit. Sorry, yeah. kids. It's all superficial yeah. bullshit, and it means nothing. You yeah. know? No, absolutely. The friend and who no, tells you, maybe it's time to leave, not the one who says, well, keep drinking, and I'll just hold your hair. The friend who tells you it's time to leave, that's 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 the one you want to hang out with. You know? Right. The friend who tells you you're stupid, when something is truly stupid. They have your back. Not the yeah. one who's like, I'll jump off of this proverbial yeah. cliff with you, because it's fun. And yeah. Well, anyway, yeah, like, so that's why I got the tattoo. It just reminds me of that, and it, I needed that reminder, you know, and I agree with you completely. I mean, even really good friends don't need to talk to, to each other, like, every day. Like, they could check in with you even, like, if they're far away, once every six months, but they are a part of your tribe, and, and this whole experience also, you know, with, with his connection to the X-Men also taught me that you protect your tribe. Right when when you know and the X mansion is being attacked, or when you're when someone is insulting your home, you protect your home. Right, right. You protect your like you do what you got to do. And I will say, like I 
always believe in giving people second chances. Like, you know, if they disappear and they come back, I will give you a second chance. I'm not going to give you a third, right? At that point, it's like, then then I'm one with my old Wolverine. And, you know, just like, schnick, like you, you cut it, you know? Schnick. So, yeah, you've got to know who is loyal to you. And, and therefore, you defend who, your tribe with ferocity, you know? And, um, and that is another thing that Logan taught me, you know, very much. And right. uh, yeah, speaking of the X Men, people either love that chapter or hate that chapter. I don't even know if you've read it, but um, it's controversial because it talks about uh, systemic oppression and the X Men as representatives of minorities and the stuff that's going on now. So just saying it there, I, I didn't write it to please certain people or not, you know, because even I was told like you're going to lose some readers with this one, and I'm like, don't really care. Right? Well, shoot, going back to the '60s, it was the X Men were MLK, Magneto was Malcolm X. Yeah, like everybody, exactly. you know what I mean? Everybody knows. If, if You have people who are so politically divided today. And me, I, if somebody asks what my political affiliation is, it's South Park. Because <laughs> okay. there's so much ridiculousness <laughs> that you can point out and laugh at from both sides where they overdo even, it. Even South Park people said that they don't make fun out of stuff right now because it's, it's like reality is more ridiculous than fiction at this point. Exactly. Right? And, and that's what I mean. Like, politically, I'm so, South Park. Yeah, and people, so well, what party do you vote for? Independent. And sometimes I don't even go. Like, because it's all, it's all you know, so. I don't want to get too much into the politics. But, but yeah, but, but I mean, people who, people who try to co-opt it for one side or another, it's like, no, it was created as it, it, it's yeah. a, it's been a civil rights book since its inception. Well, yes. And you know, the, I also argue that I, I, yes, there was this connection of like MLK is, you know, Professor Xavier's. Professor. Yeah. Xavier's side. Yeah. And then, yeah, you know, Magneto is Malcolm X. And when people think of Malcolm X, they think of like by any means necessary, which I could see the connection, but I also say it's a loose connection. It's not a watertight connection, right? Right. But, but I will say this. I, argued that to compare, you know, Malcolm X to Magneto, it's not a fair comparison because Magneto is a quintessential bad guy. And sometimes you do have to fight for things by any means necessary, even yourself. Like, I'm going to defend myself, you know, um, if I offend you, I offend you, and tough, you know. And sometimes you have to do by any means necessary, whatever. It's like it's unfair to, to pick that comparison because, you know, like, you know, just because someone is, is more direct and more assertive with them fighting for justice does not make them the bad guy. Right. So I do argue that. Right. And, and to me, I've never happens. seen Magneto as the quintessential bad guy. Well, well, some you, you, I mean, yeah, but you want to talk yeah. about trauma? Let's go into his history. Well, it's like, yeah. As a concentration sure. camp survivor and see, yeah. yeah. And, and that is exactly how I launched the, the X-Men chapter. Right. That boy's got a lot more trauma than Xavier yeah. does. Yeah, if I can, can I keep a few lines just from that. Yeah. Uh, X Men chapter. Okay, so you know how I said, like, with the Weapon X chapter, that I needed like a Scotch or a Disney movie when I finished it or whatever. I think it was Jameson and Little Mermaid. Yeah. The X Men chapter. What I ended up doing is I poured myself some whiskey and I toasted. Right. Like this was me expressing my view and it's based on real things, whether people want to admit to it or not. So. All right. So the X-Men chapter, it, it is um, called Oppression and the M word. Mutant. OK. Um, and I started with the quote, mankind has always feared what it does not understand. Magneto. Right. And so just a few like 
Um, first, she, she, uh, just two, two paragraphs. A young Jewish boy walks in a crowd of prisoners heading towards the Auschwitz death camp. Suddenly, his mother and father are pulled away from him by, as SS officers separate children from their parents. His mother screams out his name, Eric. He yells back, Mama, no, Mama. Tears streaming down his face as he stares at the disappearing figures of his parents. Overwhelmed by rage and terror, he stretches his hand towards the ice gates with staggering force his mutation surfaces, manipulating the magnetic fields around him. Eric bends the gates open until an officer strikes him unconscious. The haunting origin story depicted above belongs to the boy mutant named um, Max Eisenhardt, later known under the multiple cover identities of Ma Magnetus, Eric Lyncher, and then ultimately Magneto, um, nemesis of Professor X, enemy of the X-Men, and leader of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. So, um, and then I talk about, like, you know, according to this, you know, biography, you know, Magneto's life became a living hell in Germany's 1930 as the Nazis began to institutionalize their xenophobic um, ideology um, and, and, you know, and I go on. And so, like, it, again, writing this is impossible um, to do without talking about real-life systematic oppression of minorities and women, you know. And it's, you know, it's, it was inevitable. And, um, you know, so, I, you know, and I do talk about the history of the X-Men and Stanley and Jack Kirby. Um, God, I would have loved to have interviewed Stanley, um, you know, and Jack Kirby. Me too. Yeah, and, uh, you know, but, um, yeah, so, yeah, it just, again, to be forthcoming, it's controversial, and, and who cares? Who cares? And that's just you it, know? right. I mean, yeah, like, I, I mean, like I said, you don't want to go in the political weeds. I really don't on the show anyway, yeah. but, you know, I think most people who follow me, they know where I stand. Um, most people that hear me know exactly where I stand, you yeah. know, and, and one time I was heckled at a panel, you know, of like, well, you're wrong, like, you're, you're making up stuff about minorities being oppressed, and, you know, some of the audience were like, really? And I just played, uh, it's called, like, the record player technique, I just kept repeating the same thing, like, I will defend, uh, or I will fight against oppression of any minority group without apology, and he kept going, and I said, I will defend you know, until my last breath, you know, um, you know, minorities or anyone who experiences oppression or violence without apology. And then right. he kept going. And then I kept saying, without apology, without apology, take it or leave it. If not, get out, you know, and I'm like, you can write your own book. You know, you're welcome to write your own views, but I am not going to apologize for saying the truth ever, you know? And so, you know, um, you know, also, so time and place, dude. It, it, yeah, like, it, it's not the time or place. Um, but yeah, so the X-Men, you know, I have my favorites, you know, um, but probably Aurora is one because she has to have, as a psychologist, come on, like, the more she, you know, manages her emotions, like, the less, you know... Powerful. Whether you're going to see, right? <laughs> right. Over, the less powerful she becomes. Of, yeah, natural disasters and all of that. Um, I have some other favorites, but um, they also became very endeared to me. So since this work happened, um, in terms of the comic book world, I am like completely in and uh, completely absorbed with with all of it. I can't get enough of it. And um, again, I, I, I am very grateful. And I also just I, I sent a shout out to Chandler Rice 
um, from Desert Wind Comics, but I also want to send out a shout out to all of the writers and the illustrators that took the time to talk to me, like really talk to me. Even John Ramita Sr. invited me to his home. So I spent time with him and Mrs. Mrs. Ramita. You can make that look again. Mm-hmm. And, um, and can I tell you something about Mrs. Ramita? Oh, yeah, of course. I totally have to tell you something. And I have to go in a, a few minutes, but I just have to share the story. I'm going to share two stories. Um, first one will be John Ramita Sr. talking about John Ramita Jr. Okay. And so he said, like, as, you know, an illustrator, like, you, you, you want your kids to admire your work, but you don't want them to admire it too much because then they might go into it. And the field is very difficult. Like, what if your kid sucks at drawing, right? And, and what if, you know, like, all of these worries that he had, like, you know, as a parent, you're a parent, you want to put this protective shield around your little kids, like, don't hurt their feelings, right? You know, like, you know, you want to be protective. And then John Ramita Jr. came into his own and not only, like, probably matched him, right? But in John Ramita Sr.'s, you know, words, surpassed him, you know, in, in his words. And he said, like, there was no greater moment, you know, that a father could feel, you know, when your son, you know, is inspired by your work. And then he becomes John Ramita Jr. Right, right. Here's me, me like... Like I'm like trying not to tear up or something, right? And then the I boy just got announced with Frank Miller as doing a Superman book Superman. with Frank Miller. Like that's like, an that, oh, no. yeah, that's a yeah, that's a you arrived moment. Frank Miller's yeah. taking you on to draw yeah. one of his stories. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're kind of, you kind of made it. You yeah, made it. And um, yeah, he was really big in Brazil, by the way, too. Like I was following the Instagram, like huge in Brazil, right? Um, anyway, I digress. So, um, when I spoke to Mr. Ramita, uh, about like my story, you know, he, he, you know, I said something like, you know, I'm still, it was still in the early stages. Like I agreed to tell my story, but I didn't agree to like, like the details. Right. And so, um, he's like, what's wrong with rage is what he said. Right. Like what's wrong with being pissed off. And when I spoke to, you know, Mrs. Ramita separately, she said like, you know, same question. Everyone asked me why Wolverine. And then, so I told her everything. And I said, well, I was thinking in the book that I was going to just maybe call it like a, a, an unwanted violation. And therefore people will know what I'm, you know, alluding to. And she just looked at me and she's like a little badass, by the way, like she's feisty and she's honest. Um, and she's fair, but she's honest. Like she'll let you, you know, she'll, she speaks her mind. And she said <laughs> in her way, she's like, let me tell you something. Right. Like, <laughs> she's like pointing the finger at me. And then she's like, you need to speak your truth. You need to tell the whole story because if you don't, you're still hiding and you're still blaming yourself or you're still like, you know, you're thinking that you're still carrying this. And she's like, forget that noise. And she's like, put that on paper. You need to own that shit. And I was like, Oh my God. Right. And then, so she's like, you know, and she additionally, she said, and let me tell you something else. Right. She's like, if it's on page, who cares? Because if people wanted, they did, didn't want to, be on the page, they should have treated better. And she's like, sometimes there's nothing wrong with a little revenge, you know, because some people have it coming. And I was like, okay, Wolverine, right? You know? And she's like, you know what? There's some truth in that. So she's like, you put that on the page and you own that. And I was like, yes. I was like, yes, ma'am. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. She took it to another level and she was, you know, I'm a huge Mrs. Ramita fan now. Um, Sorry, I'm like moving this. Um, A huge Mrs. Ramita fan to the couple they're they're both just endearing and wonderful and um so 
anyway, I just wanted to, you know, send a shout out to all of the writers and illustrators that took the time to meet with me and that heard my story. And, and more importantly, they embraced me and took me into the comic book world. Again, I'm a newbie. But now, you know, I've done interviews with Chris, Chris Claremont and Joe Rubenstein. And uh, I was even on a, a panel. It was just me and Roy Thomas. And that was like incredible. <laughs> you know? Wow. The question was like, you know, what was, you know, the highlight of all of this? And I'm like, hello. I'm like right next to Roy right. Thomas. I was just like, oh, my God. And I'm like completely starstruck. A few years ago, I'm like, who? You know? I wouldn't have known. But, um, and so he and I had a, an incredible talk about the inspiration his inspiration behind, um, you know, as a co-creator and it, it has just been the journey of my life. And yes, I still have healing to do as right. do all of us, you know, but, uh, Wolverine is my boo, right? Like I said, I will defend him always. And he, I'm very endeared to him. I can even say, I love Wolverine. And, um, yeah. some way, I think that he likes me too. And, you know, and I'll just take it to another level. In the TED Talk, I talked about, like, a lot of people would pick Superman as their quintessential superhero. Based on where I was, Superman was too perfect. I needed someone, like, darker, and I needed someone imperfect, and I needed someone, like, you know, with grit. And, the, and maybe on a subconscious level, it was because, like, Superman was too perfect. He would take the bad guy and take him to the police because that's the right thing to do, right? And it's like Wolverine would mess him up for me. Like, if he was my, you know, if, Wol if Logan was my friend, he'd be like, I got you, right? And I, and I, I was that angry. And it needed to come out, right? I didn't do it. I obviously didn't do anything, but it's like, and I'm like, it's okay to feel certain feels sometimes, you know, and it's okay to get pissed off. And once again, it is perfectly okay for you to defend yourself or someone else, you know, and we, what you taught me is that we have it within ourselves to defend ourselves and to protect others. And we do that with ferocity. And once again, without apology. Exactly. So I will close it that way. Exactly. And I'll tell you something real, real quick before you go on the Cal Dot episode, you want to see how that insight is so common. So Cal Dodd was talking about he had never done voice acting. He did jingles and he could sing and the man can sing. Okay. I have Wolverine singing totally clips of the heart on my podcast. Right. Um, <laughs> right. It's awesome. Cause his brother actually did the recording with Bonnie Tyler. Oh, wow. Um, I'm going to that for sure. But he was talking about, you know, he got in there in the booth and he'd never done voice acting before. And, and he didn't really know the character either. And he was like, well, what's the inspiration? And they started giving him all these, like, cowboys and, and movie tough guys to do, you know? And he said, and sure, you know, that was some of the inspiration. It gave me the timber in the voice, he said. But, but he's like, I was reading what the dialogue was, and he said, and I was thinking back to when I was younger, and I've always hated bullies, right? And I, that's, such a, that's such a common theme through comic people is the hatred of bullies, right? Of all kinds. And he was like, and I was thinking about when I was a kid and I'd see a little girl getting picked on and he even said it like that. I, you know, I'd see a little girl getting picked on in the parking lot and in, in, in the, in the playground at school. And I'd go up and, you know, and then he's like, and I put that anger that I had, I remembered it and I put it in the voice and I went from talking like this. Cause he doesn't sound like you don't, he doesn't pick up the phone and he's like, Hey Jason, how you doing? Well, you know, like he's, and he was like talking and then he goes, and I was reading the dialogue, and it just came out the, you like picking on people? Well, pick on me! You know, like that visceral, guttural. And he said, and they in the booth were just like, they dropped their scripts, and they were like, you got it, and their faces dropped. And then probably the one of the 
one of the most honest things he said about the character, because he played the character for a long time. Um, and he was the first one to give Wolverine a voice. First person in the world to give Wolverine an actual voice. Everybody had it in their head up to that point, and I'm sure it sounded like them when they were pissed. But he was the first one to give it a voice. And he said they, they, the episode where he goes to the Inuit tribe in the cartoon. And at the end, they're doing the thing where they've got the, the blanket stretched and they're bouncing him up in the air, which logistically makes no sense. The man is like a multi-hundred-pound metal skeleton. But in the cartoon, you know, they were bouncing him up and down on the blanket. And he said, and then it said he laughs. And I didn't know what to do. Because I, he said, I realized I'd done all these episodes with this character and I'd never laughed. Mm. And he had to figure out how someone... That he had to tap into so much pain and hurt and anger. Well, how would they actually laugh? And he had to figure out how someone like Logan would I, laugh. I would imagine that's tough. Yeah, like I'm even thinking you know, Hugh Jackman's representation. And um, I don't think he ever actually laughs. When I'm yeah, other than like a sneering guffaw where it's like the sarcastic like, huh, at something. And then he walks away. But like to actually, he's like, I had to figure out how this man would genuinely laugh. And he said, and that was the hardest part of the voice acting I did with the character, was how would he laugh? Which lets you know the pathos of Logan. Yeah. When you have to, like, when it pains you to figure out how would he act, I have to voice this man happy in a moment, and I don't know how the hell to do that. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. I, I, that, but that speaks to the complexity of the character, once again. Right. And I just so, wanted to share those real quick. Like, you have to go, but I yeah. will uh, give you one more thing. Um, if Would you like to see the painting that everybody signed? Yes. Okay, have to get it. It's going to go in a vault very soon, but um, I can go get it. Give me a sec. Okay. okay. Oh, my goodness. All right. So I'm going to try to get it as close as I can. I might need to do this here. All right. So here is Chris Claremont. Yeah. John Ramita Sr. Frank, Frank Miller. Oh my God. Len Wein. Joe Rubenstein. Because Frank Miller and Joe Rubenstein did the solo series, right? Yes. And, and uh, here's Stan Lee. And all of the signatures have been authenticated. Oh my goodness. Um, and yeah, this is my baby, right? Like if there was a fire, you know, right? like I would, you know what it would go for, right? Um, and yeah, it's, it's going, you know, based on all the signatures now, I just need Roy Thomas and it's, yeah, it's within a few days, it's going to go in a vault. So, wow. um, but that, that, that was because once again, you know, um, I got access to them and, uh. I just felt like I, I needed almost like proof that I actually got to meet them or talk to them or panel with them. And yeah, now I'm a major groupie. And so it's been great. Us comic people always looking for that. You need to prove it. Yeah. And that's okay because like, and, and what better way than all of them signing the solo series of Wolverine. Right. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's cool. I'm a big nerd now, big geek and proud. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Have been since birth. Never ashamed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and proud. Yes, ma'am. And without, apolo without apology. Always. Yeah. Always. This has been a good, great interview, by the way. This has been incredible. Way more insightful than I thought it, it was going to be. Um, yeah, it's definitely probably one of the deepest ones I've done in the two years I've been doing this. So thank you for being yeah. so... So open because I'm you. You were open in the book, but I'm sure it's it's not easy to be 
that open all the time, every time you talk about it. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you it's for that. Part, but I'm, it, it's a good, you know, it's a good message to share because it's, need to know. it's an amazing message to share. So thank you too. <laughs> no, thank you. And, um, anytime you want to come back on any guest who is willing to come on, it, it's an open door. So like you said, you're working on another character or you just want to come on and shoot the, shoot the breeze. Um, you're always welcome on anytime. Oh, just reach yeah. out. I'd, I'd love to talk a little bit more even about, um, you know, professor X and Magneto. And I could also talk about the X-Men shows know, open general. to you anytime. It yeah, really is. Cool. <laughs> Take care and have a good day. You too. Okay. See ya. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye. Bye.